In the following live session recording, Sam Warner, Vice President of Development, Georgia Baptist Foundation, shares a new idea for funding ministry. The listener will learn how churches can fund ministries with resources above and beyond typical tithes and offerings. Let's join Sam now. All right. So basically, what what I'm going to talk about today is four different ways that, and I have new ideas for funding ministry. None of these are actually new ideas, but it's ideas that most of our churches are not currently using. So that's part of the reason that I that I do this seminar is I want your church to be aware of all these different ways that people can give that maybe they currently aren't giving. And some of you may have experienced these gifts already and kind of know what they are, but hopefully I'll get into more detail. I'm also going to kind of pause and go back and forth from the PowerPoint and do some, I'll go on our website and actually show you how easy it is to do a stock gift, for example, um, to your church or do a donor advised fund. For those of you that know what a donor advice fund is, we'll get into some things like that. So who are we at the foundation? We were started in 1941, so we've been around a long time. Not as long as Tabernacle Baptist Church, but, but still a pretty long time. Um, almost almost uh, 77 years now, 78 years, so pretty good, pretty good while. And we have been managing funds that entire time. So one of our charges is to manage funds for churches. We have several churches all over the state, um, about 1,700 accounts. Um, that doesn't represent 1,700 different churches. Um, we've got 3,600 churches in Georgia, in the Georgia Baptist Mission Board across the state in the convention. And I would say probably 800 maybe have an account of some type with us. So, so we got a long ways to go. So if your church doesn't have an account with us, that's okay, you're in the majority. We have about $415 million under management. We, our goal is 7.5% return on that money. So we're conservative, but it's still a very good rate of return compared to what you can get at your local bank. We have done um, close to 9%, 8, 8.81 or 8.84% was our most recent quarterly number uh, since inception on our ministry trust fund. Um, obviously the last, um, I, I say we have about 415 million. We were pushing 420 until the um, kind of bad couple of weeks that we've had in the market. So, uh, so it does fluctuate. It does go up and down. The good thing for the church is on a five-year rolling average, um, we we shoot for about a seven and a half percent rate of return. And it's not a great short-term spot for money. We are we're a long-term investor. So, four to five-year investment horizon is what I tell churches. So if I meet with your finance team and do a presentation on managing funds, then I would go through that and explain that to them. If it's short-term money, you know, we, it's not a good spot to put it. It's gonna be a longer-term investment. Then the, uh, the second thing we do is the estate stewardship. I mentioned a little bit before you were in here, but basically what we do is we go around to churches all over the state, meet with them, do a faithfully stewarding your estate seminar, and that people have an opportunity to sign up and meet with an actual attorney we don't charge for the seminar that really anything that we do at the foundation that we do charge a small cost recovery fee on fund management about it's 0.55 percent so that is usually going to be i say half but really it's more like a third to a fourth of what a normal broker would charge most brokers are charging at least one and a half basis points maybe two and a half um, and we are only charging a little over half a basis point so very reasonable to manage the funds for you, and that's where our budget comes from. We're basically a self-sufficient ministry uh, because of that. And then we don't charge for the faithfully stewarding your estate seminars that we come out and do. If you meet with an attorney, you do pay the attorney's fees, but that is the only thing you would pay. Um, we've negotiated with some Christian attorneys across the state. Uh, so it's $350 for a couple, $300 for an individual. And if you have a um, if you have, for example, um, several full-time pastors on staff, I have funds for our full-time ministers to actually pay that fee for you. So um, anybody on staff that you know, is, is in full-time ministry, we can cover the cost of that for your you know, senior pastor, associate pastor, worship pastor, all those guys. So, so uh, that's another thing, another benefit that, that we have. Um, and then you'll notice down at the bottom, I'm really going to focus on number three. We do planned gifts for individuals, but we also help individuals make gifts. 
Um, and I mentioned earlier that I was going to talk about four different things. Planned giving is one of the things I'm going to talk about, but I'll get into all four of those here in just a minute. Um, who do we serve? Um, I mentioned earlier that we have accounts with our churches all over the state. We actually have accounts with the children's home, with um, your Baptist retirement communities, all the colleges. So all your, all, if you think of a Baptist ministry in Georgia, they probably have an account with us. Um, we even have funds for NAM and IMB. Um, we're, we're one of the largest contributors to IMB in the state. So uh, because we have funds in endowment for IMB, and every year we, we send them income from those funds. Jonathan, do you remember the exact amount last year? The last, the last number I remember is 342000 but that was a few years ago. I don't remember what we sent IMB last year. Do you? I don't either. That's okay. close to that 350. So 350 range, somewhere in there, is what we send to the IMB um, every year. The uh, principles of faithful stewarding. How can we get your, the people in your pews, basically, to be faithful stewards. And that's part of our job is to make sure they, number one, they have to have a relationship with the Lord. So we know if they don't have a personal relationship with Christ, then they're probably not gonna feel led to give more to the church than they're already giving and definitely not set up an estate gift and things like that or a planned gift. So we wanna make sure they have a relationship with the Lord, um, seeks faithful execution. When you think about um, how you do something. If you just tell somebody they need to do something, they're probably not going to do it. Uh, we got to show them how. So we want to we want to basically lay it out for you. Um, season eternal perspective. I like to talk about endowment here. And I just want y'all to think long term. Is something is Matt right? Some Mark. I'm sorry, Mark. Something Mark said earlier about basically their church has been around over a hundred years. So. Um, when they founded that church, they weren't thinking we're going to be here for 100 and, you know, 809 years. So what's exciting about that is if you think in endowment terms, then your gift can give long after you're gone. So if you give a, an endowed gift through your estate plan, let's, and I'll just use $50,000 as an example. So let's say somebody has a $500,000 estate, they tithe on their estate, they give a, a, a $50,000 gift when they die. And that individual's money goes into an endowment fund with the foundation to fund that church for the next however many years. So basically until Christ comes back. So let's say Christ waits 100 years to come back. And I think that's, that's pretty reasonable. Most, most people think we're in the end times. I won't debate whether we're in the end times or not or get into that discussion. But 100 years is a very short period of time for our Lord and Savior. You know, in Second Peter, he talks about a thousand years is like a day. So to our, to our Lord and Savior, so he could, you know, he could easily wait a thousand years and that would still be the end times. But I'll use 100 to, to make it a little more realistic and easier to do the math. So basically what happens with a $50,000 gift, if we just pay 5%, you know, we have done better than that, but we'll just use 5% as our payout. Then, and let's just say there's no growth. So it just stays at 5%, we earn 5%, we pay out 5%, there's no growth. That'll make the math simpler as well. Then every 20 years, we're gonna pay out $50,000 to the church. That means in a 100 year period, that person's $50,000 gift, all of a sudden becomes a $250,000 gift. So it's a quarter of a million dollar gift from an average family in your church that has a $500,000 net worth which there are a lot of families in your churches that have a $500,000 net worth. So it's not unrealistic or unusual. And then the other thing that's interesting about that is if Christ waits another 20 years to come back, it's going to pay out another $50,000. So, so it's just there to continue paying out until Christ comes back. So that's what I'm, that's what I mean when I say season eternal perspective is that's really what we want y'all to think about. I've considered more than finances. Um, if you think about your time and your talents and your gifts and how you're using those, are you being wise stewards with those as well? So it's not just a money issue. Obviously, we at the foundation talk about money a lot, and that is what we're charged with doing and helping your churches do. But we also agree with you that your, your people have to be well-rounded and they have to think about all of, all of the gifts that God's given them and how are they using those. And then gets multiplied in community. I use this example for, let's say you have a widow's group in your church, and, and I, go to a, I go to a small church up in Woodstock, Georgia, called First Baptist. So we have a, we have a widow's ministry, and we have about, the last, the last number I saw, we had 414 widows um, in our church. 
So we have a large widow's ministry, but, but let's say y'all have a widow's ministry in your church and there's, let's, we use 10 as an example. There's 10 ladies and one lady wants to do something for the church, some ministry in the church, but she's like, you know, Sam, we just don't, I don't have much money and my, my gift is not going to make a difference. And I say, well, have you considered, number one, her gift will make a difference. So we have that discussion first. But number two, um, what if her friends all gather around that same vision and they all leave a gift to that ministry? Well, all of a sudden, maybe her own $10,000 gift becomes a $100,000 gift because all 10 of them say we're going to give $10,000 in our estate plan you know, to this ministry. And then all of a sudden you have a $100,000 endowment for that ministry. $5,000 a year coming in every year and you're able to do whatever those ladies vision and heart was for that particular ministry in your church. So, so that's what I'm talking about when I say get multiplied in community. And then um, this is the process of faithful stewarding. This is on our website. So, and, and I'm going to send everybody this PowerPoint as well. So if you can't see it that well, but we want, um, to, we want to inspire you number one, and that's important. But if we don't give you direction and we're not able to take action steps, then we're not going to, to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. So we want to use those five principles of faithful stewarding to help inspire your people, give your people direction, and ultimately help them take action. So what are the new ideas for funding church ministry? I've got four different things up here. I'm going to talk about planned gifts. I'm going to talk about donor-advised funds. Um, which um, may, you may have heard is a ministry fund or a poor man's foundation. There's a lot of different you know, terms for that, but donor advised fund is the most common term. And we call it a ministry fund if you open one with the foundation. And then stock gifts or security gifts. So it doesn't have to necessarily be stocks. It can be mutual funds or bonds and things like that. And then RMDs. Um, now, I've got a, got a pretty young crowd in here, so you probably aren't familiar with RMDs, or maybe you have parents that have dealt with RMDs, so you've heard of them. But that is, stands for Required Minimum Distributions. And that is something that Congress passed a few years ago. Every year we would wait until the end of the year for Congress to say whether they were going to allow people to give their RMDs to the church or give to charity. Um, but two, I think it was 2016, so it's been three years ago now, they did officially pass it into law permanently, well, as permanent as you can get from, from the Senate and the, the House of Representatives, but permanently passed into law that you could leave up to $100,000 from a required minimum distribution. That's a taxable account that hasn't been taxed on yet, so a 403B, a 401K, a traditional IRA. Um, when you reach age 70 and a half, Everybody, all of us in here, will have to start pulling out of our qualified tax deferred accounts. So you can, if you inherit, that's that's a great point. Um, if you inherit a you know taxable account like that that's been tax deferred, guess what? Uncle Sam wants his money, and he doesn't care that you're not 70 and a half. You have to start paying those taxes. So so there are situations where you could be younger than 70 and a half. So I appreciate you bringing that up. And have to start paying those, but those um, those RMDs, $100,000 up to $100,000, can be given um, to the church directly. It has to be done directly. If it comes to you, guess what? You get to pay taxes on it. So make sure if you're going to do that that you talk to us. You go on our website. I'll show y'all, um, you know, how you can um, can do that. It, well, actually, it's going to be up hopefully in September. Right? We'll have an option on our website in September actually go in and make that qualified charitable distribution is the official charity term for that of your RMD to your church and or other ministries that you have a heart for. Um, you can just go straight to your broker, you know, and say, hey, I, I want to give this to my church instead of instead of taking it myself and paying taxes on it. Um, now, they did recently pass up to $400,000 can be put into um, basically what's called a planned gift. And I'm going to talk about planned gifts here in just a second. So they are allowing you to take more dollars out of your qualified accounts and put them into a planned gift instrument now. That, and they weren't allowing that until just recently. That was a pretty recent um, change in the law. So I'll talk about all four of those. And I want to highlight the planned giving first. Um, what is a planned gift? So some of y'all are familiar with planned gifts and have heard of them. And others probably say, you know, Sam, I don't, I don't know what a planned gift is. 
there, if you can think of some situation, we can probably figure out how to do a GIF for that situation. Now, what I mean by that, and I'm going to give you all a couple of examples, is you can take an asset that is appreciated and you can put it into a charitable trust and avoid capital gains on that asset and avoid paying taxes on that asset or well getting a tax deduction so you're still going to pay some taxes but you get a tax deduction on making the gift i'm going to actually go through and this is on our website but i'm going to go through i went ahead and, and did filled one out and set one up a charitable remainder uni trust is what it's called and i think i've see yeah i've got a slide on that um, charitable remainder uni trust is a very common instrument we use for gifts of appreciated stock, gifts of appreciated property, things like that. So let's say, for example, you have somebody in your church that has a lake house or a cabin or some type of vacation home, a beach house, and they no longer want to keep that. So let's, uh, the example that I recently had, the couple's kids had moved all over the country. Um, they had one grandchild that was using it last summer, and then they were going off they were actually going some, I think to Hong Kong, but they had gotten a job in Hong Kong, this grandchild. So, so basically they didn't have anybody that was really using it. They were older. They were in a situation where they um, didn't want to maintain it anymore. This particular asset, they had bought it for about $100,000, you know, 35 years ago. The home was worth about $500,000 now, you know, it was on a lake, it was a valuable piece of property. So they were gonna have a huge capital gains tax bill if they sold the property. So the, the idea with the charitable remainder trust is they take that piece of property, they give it to the foundation. We don't, we don't manage property or hang on to property. We turn around and sell it and we fund this charitable trust with those dollars. So in, in, in what I'm gonna show y'all, this is uh, the example I'm gonna use, basically has all these different benefits in it, but I wanna show you the example first. I'll talk about, I'll highlight some of the benefits because they're really in the example. So now this may be a couple, may or may not be a couple from one of y'all's churches, um, George and Martha Washington. Y'all may have, have one of them in your, in your church. But George and Martha, basically what, what I did is I, I went on our website and I went to solutions for individuals. So it's pretty simple. You just, and I'll show y'all that in a second, but you can just highlight um, individuals at the top, highlight solutions and click on it. And then it takes you to a page that has all kinds, everything that I'll talk about today pretty much will be under the solutions page. So one of the solutions options is to go in and, and look at a charitable remainder trust. So I went ahead just for sake of time and filled everything out ahead of time. And this is what it gave me. So this couple, they had a piece of property valued at $500,000. They had they had initially paid about $200,000 for the property. And I used the lowest capital gains tax rate here. This, this could actually be higher, but just for example purposes, I went ahead and went with the lowest amount to show you how significant it still could be, even if it was the lowest amount. So they had um, $45,000 in potential taxes, about a 15% um, capital gains tax on that $300,000 gain they were gonna have if they sold the property themselves. Then, you go to the next slide and it just shows you um, what happens when you have both growth um, property or stock and you have it, it's increased in value and there's lowered in their case no income off of this you know vacation home because they weren't renting it out um, and they don't you don't necessarily need more income in this case they just they just said hey we're tired of paying the taxes insurance maintenance all those things and um, and it wouldn't be it would be nice to have income on it as well so they're going to receive income from it and they're going to get a huge tax break. So there's several things that happen here and I'm going to show y'all in a picture format what that looks like. So they're bypassing the gain, they're increasing their income and they're getting a charitable deduction all at the same time. And you'll notice here that they're, if they receive 5% in income on this trust, then the first year they're gonna get $25,000 in income um, from the trust after we get the house sold and, and get it set up. Um, and usually, and we really have been fortunate, you know, we could get stuck with a piece of property for a little while, but it's this specific charitable remainder trust is called a 
a NIMCRUT NIM flip trust. So basically what that means is we don't have to pay income until there's income in layman's terms. And then the flip happens when we sell it. And then of course, then we have an asset there that generates income and we start paying the, the individual income. So in this case, we have about $500,000 in the trust after we sell the property. They receive about $25,000 a year. The advantage for the church with this is it's irrevocable. So once this trust is set up, it's an irrevocable charitable remainder uni trust. That means that when the individuals pass away, in this example that I'm showing here, and there's several different options you have on how long we can pay out the income. In this case, this couple, when the two of them pass away, second to die, the income that's in the trust will go to the church. So in this particular case, now 8% is probably a little aggressive, but that's what I've used here in this example. If they live a normal life, 18, let's see, and it actually tells us what their normal life expectancy was. They are age 80 and 75. So if you notice at the bottom down here, it's kind of hard to see, but it says that 18.7 years is their life expectancy based on their current age for the two of them. So if they receive income for 18.7 years, that income from that trust, if it earns 8%, it's gonna grow. So they're getting 5% of a larger number as the trust grows. They will receive about $615,000 in income from the trust, this $500,000 gift that they made. Then the church is gonna receive about $869,000 when they die because the trust has grown that much over that time period. Even though it was paying out income, it wasn't paying out as much income as it was making. So it was growing at the same time. So they've turned an asset that's about a half million dollar asset into about $1.5 million in total revenue because of what they receive and what the church receives. Then if you'll notice on the right over here or on the left for y'all, that um, that $300,000 gain, they've saved about $45,000 or more depending on which tax bracket they're in for capital gains, but they also get a charitable deduction of $266,000. So the IRS knows they're gonna receive income on it, so they don't get the full $500,000 as a tax write-off, but they prorate it based on their life expectancy and say they should get about a $266,000 tax break. So that saves them another $58,000 in taxes, and that's based on a, um, I think I used a 28% tax bracket there. So yeah, it could be higher if they're in a higher tax bracket, could be lower if they're in a lower tax bracket. That's, that's pretty average. So this gift that this couple made to the church generated a lot of income for them, generates a huge gift for the church. It's irrevocable, so it's locked in for the church, even though it could be potentially 20, you know, 19 years out in their, in their example. Uh, but it's just a very um, unique way to help an individual that has an asset that's appreciated. They don't really need the um, income necessarily from it. We set some of these up where the income goes to the church immediately so that the couple doesn't have to take the income if they don't want to. It can go to charity immediately and of course then they get a tax break on that as well. Another cool thing about a charitable trust is that income stream to the individual is also taxed advantaged. So about 85% of that income to the couple is tax free as well. So that for usually about 10 to 11 years and then it, they've worn that tax break out and then it's 100% taxable at that point. But, uh, but just a, so there's all kinds of great reasons why a couple in that position would consider this. Another example that's a little more complicated, so I didn't try to do a, a printout of it and then show you all on the screen, is I have a gentleman that's got several rental houses. So his plan, because he can't use all of the tax break in one year, is every couple of years to give us a rental house and, and set up a trust every time he gives us a rental house. And his idea is kind of replace that rental income for his wife. He's older than his wife. He think, you know, he doesn't want her to be stuck managing properties, uh, but he also wants to make sure she has income for retirement and all that. So, um, so far he's given us three houses. I don't know how many houses, you know, he'll end up setting up, you know, in, in a trust with us, but we've done three trusts for this one donor and his church and some other ministries are gonna benefit, you know, immensely from those trusts um, in the future. So really cool things you can do. And then there's, um, I'll go back to my slideshow because I want to show y'all this, um, some of the benefits on the screen that I had up here on the PowerPoint. So you'll notice 
um, at the bottom of the screen here, you can receive income for life, but you can also receive income for a term of years. So it doesn't have to be um, a lifetime trust. It can be set up. Uh, one, I did one trust for an individual where they set it up for their lifetime, and then their grandkids get income for five years, and then it goes to the church. So, so there's a lot of different flexible things we can do. Um, it can be set up at your death, so it can be set up in your um, will as a testamentary charitable remainder uni trust, or a TCRUT for short, and that is just established when you die, and usually with those, they call it a give it twice trust because you would pay the kids for 20 years and then it would go to the church at that point. So if you had a $250,000 um, IRA, for example, and that went into the trust, the kids at 5% would get $250,000 over 20 years. And then hopefully it would have grown and the church would get 300, 350,000 when the kids, you know, um, stop receiving their income at the end of the trust. So, so there's all kinds of cool things we can do there. Um, we talked about avoiding capital gains on appreciated assets. That's, that is a big deal when you're talking with somebody that's going to get this huge tax hit if they sell something. Um, receive an immediate charitable income tax deduction. That one is awesome as well because even though you may not be able to use, in this example that I just gave you all, they had a $58,000 tax deduction. With property, with cash, it's up to 50% of your adjusted gross income can be written off that next year as a charitable deduction. But with property, it's only 30%. So they may be in a situation that gets $266,000 in our example that we just showed y'all um, tax break and their income that year may only be, let's say it's $200,000. So that means they can only take $60,000 of that off that first year. The cool thing about that though for, for the donor is they can spread that out over an additional five years. So they don't lose that charitable deduction just because they can't use it all in the first year. They can use it for the next five years after that first initial gift year um, to try to use up all of that charitable, charitable deduction. So, so that's another cool thing that they can do. And then just establishing a future legacy for ministry. You know, when you put something in place that's irrevocable, um, not only does it make that donor feel good, but it's something the church can count on. You know, it's, it's a guarantee. When somebody leaves a gift in a will, 97% of the time they don't take it out. So the statistics are very good, but they can change it to a different ministry. They can, they can take it out technically, you know, so, so it's not irrevocable in a will, whereas a charitable trust is irrevocable. So that's the reason that we love to help churches set those up for their donors. So the next one I wanna talk about is a DAF a donor advised fund. Some of you may be familiar with donor advised funds, but if you're not, um, basically it is an agreement for somebody that doesn't know where they want the funds to go today, but they know they want to give the funds away. So um, several different um, charities offer donor advised funds. And we at the Georgia Baptist Foundation, um, the neat thing about us is we actually have an online portal. So when you set up a donor advised fund with the foundation, you're able to go in and make gifts out of that donor advised fund online. And you can make them anonymously if you want to. So um, I'll give you one example of something we worked on. Um, we haven't actually done this, but we talked with a gentleman about doing something like this. He wanted to make a gift to a building fund for his church. And this, so this is a great example of how you could use a donor advised fund, but he wanted to do it anonymously. Well. The best way to do that is to, and he was actually using property to do it. So you can put that into a donor advised fund with us. We fund the account with whatever you put in there, whether it's property or stock or cash. And then we can make gifts out of that account whenever you want us to. And, and in his case, he wanted to do it over three years. He didn't want to immediately give them the church a million dollars. You know, he didn't think it was, was wise to give it to them all at once. So. So he was going to spread it over three years and he was going to do it anonymously. So he didn't have to tell anybody at the church that, you know, where the gift was coming from. So we, we um, provide that service through a donor advised fund. So that's a cool way for, for a donor to use it. And then another example, um, I'll just give you an example of somebody that at the end of last year um, had, they owned their own business. So what happened is they got to the end of the year, they realized they you know, had what their actual profit was going to be, what their tithe was going to be and all of that. 
And they didn't know, they didn't want to, number one, send it all to one place at one time, and they didn't, weren't sure exactly where they wanted to give all of the funds immediately. So they called me the week of Christmas and put, you know, put some money in a donor advised fund. They actually called me again on December 30th and, and added to that because they got some numbers back from their accountant and had more dollars to put in. And then a few months later, they made a gift to the International Mission Board, this particular couple, um, and it had the account had earned more than they actually gave away. So the account still had more money in it, and they made a ten thousand dollar gift to the to IMB when they when they made the first gift out of the account. So so the account is earning. You know, can't it can be set up to earn? It can be set up in an account that doesn't earn money as well. It kind of depends on what the individual's plan is with the dollars and how quickly they're going to give them away. But it can be set up as a legacy um, DAF. So it's, it can can be in our ministry trust fund. It can be earning a return while it's in there. And of course they can give away the income if they want to, and then eventually give away some of the principal if they feel led to do that as well. Uh, so that, so very, it's a very fun way for um, a family that maybe is not large. You know, most of us in here, um, except for Jonathan in the back there, he's probably loaded, but, but most <laughs> of us are not in a position to open what we would call a foundation, a family foundation. A donor advised fund gives you the ability to have your own family foundation. Some people call it a poor man's foundation. I've heard the donor advised fund called that. So, so it's just a, a really neat thing that you can set up. Um, you can even set one up that you have your children as the, basically the, not the beneficiaries, but the um, charitable, and I'm drawing a blank on the term, Jonathan, what's the term for the person that would direct where the funds go? Be like a successor advisor. Successor advisor, yes. So you could set your kids up as successor advisor on your DAF, and then when you're gone, they can make gifts out of the DAF, you know, to different places. And you can have your your will actually have money go into a donor advised fund you know, for the kids to basically be able to give gifts out of um, after you're gone. So maybe they have a heart for different ministries than you did, and you want them to be able to give that gift to those ministries instead of where you left, where you were leaving them when you were alive. So, so just kind of very, very flexible and very easy to use. And I'll show you all this real quickly here. I'm going to switch back to our website and show you all how you can direct one of your members or you personally can go to this and open it up. So I talked earlier, you just go up to services here and then individuals, and I'm not actually clicking on any of this, and then solutions, and then I will click, click on solutions, and then I'm going to go down, and that is showing up right for y'all good. I'm going to go down here and look for ways to support um, current gifts. I'm going to talk about both of these, but um, I haven't talked about stocks yet, so we'll go into the set up a ministry account. You just click on that, and then you're able to fill out this ministry account agreement, and this creates the donor advised fund. So it's very easy to do, and you can actually list on the last page, you can list different ministries that you want it to go to. So you could set it up ahead of time and say, I want my church to receive 100%, or I want my church to receive 50%, and IMB to receive 50%. And then we can set it up to where, on a regular basis, the um, income goes to that ministry immediately. Um, or you can just go in and make distributions anytime you want to on our online portal. And it kind of works like your online banking. So if y'all are familiar with your own personal online banking, it's similar to that. You would just go in and make the request and set it up and then um, we would distribute those funds for you. And let's look at gifts of stocks and other securities. now. Some of you may have have seen, um, some of you may have some old Coca-Cola stock. I don't know, it's an old Coca-Cola stock certificate there. And the reason I have that up there, is I wanna share a quick story. And this actually, Jonathan actually was a part of this uh, particular story. Jonathan Gray in the back here is, is the president of the foundation and, um, and in charge of um, basically everything at the foundation, including development, which I'm over. But he was a development officer. This would have been about 12 years ago, Jonathan, is that right? Um, and there was a, a lady that um, had, basically she had a lot of Coke stock is, is what it amounted to. And you can correct me if I tell some of it wrong, but, but what happened in this story, and the reason I share this with our churches and, and you guys in here, 
is we haven't done a good job as churches of talking about leaving a gift to the church. All of you, have any of you received anything in the last, um, let's say, two or three months from your alma mater saying, remember us in your will or leave us a gift of some type? Okay, so see these people shaking their heads. So our, our educational institutions ask us all the time, remember us in your will, leave us in your will. But as a church, that should be primary, right? God didn't have a plan B to reach the world for Christ. It was plan A, local church. That's how he was going to reach the world for Christ. So we want everybody in your church to consider a church, the gift to the church first. So this particular lady, a member of the church in Noonan, and she um, loved her church, been active for years, been there for a long, long time. Well, when she, when her estate was settled by the foundation, and, and that's why I say Jonathan was a part of this, she had gifts going to IMB and a couple of other ministries. I don't remember all the ministries that it went to. And she did leave a gift to her church, but guess how much the gift to the church was? $5,000. Her Coke stock was worth somewhere between two and $3 million that she had in her estate. And she left a $5,000 gift to her church. Um, if the church had asked, would it have been larger? Maybe not, but the, the likelihood is yes, there would have been a much larger gift to the church and the other ministries would have received you know, less of the pie. But because the church never talked about it and never asked, they got a token gift of $5,000 from somebody that had an estate you know, worth close to $3 million. And, um, and really most of that, my opinion is, the majority of that should have gone to the church. And I'm sure y'all would agree with that, that your churches need those funds if they're gonna reach their local community for Christ. And, um, and we all, the church, if the church is strong, it's gonna give to North American Mission Board, it's gonna give to International Mission Board. So that's the way that we are designed as Southern Baptists. So, so that's part of the reason I share that, but we wanna make it easy for your members to give stock gifts, to give security gifts, things like that. We currently do, um, we've been averaging about two a month this year. Um, and what happens is basically the broker for your donor is connected with our broker we process the gift and send the money to the church. So in most of these examples, um, this year I would say, um, I'd have to ask Pam Mills, my VP of Trust Accounting, the exact number, but I think she told me she's averaging about two a month this year, so at least a dozen or so, so far this year that we've done. These are gifts anywhere from 5000 to $100,000, just directly to the church, you know, something they were not expecting usually, um, can be a huge difference maker for a church. So you've got an individual that's got appreciated stock, they're looking for a way to, to get a capital gains tax break, looking for a tax deduction, and they don't need that stock and they don't need income from it, they're not trying to set up a trust or anything like that, we can help them do that. And I'm gonna show y'all on our website how easy it is for you to direct one of your members there. And actually, let me go ahead and show this next slide. This. Um, this slide's a little difficult to see, but basically this is a card that we've got going out. Um, so some of y'all, if y'all are in the finance office or, or the senior pastor, you may see this card in the next couple of weeks. But it talks about two different things, receiving, you know, basically managing funds for your church. So if y'all have funds in a CD, reserve fund, things like that, that are earning almost nothing, which is usually the case, then you might want to consider putting those with us. That's on the left side of the card up here, and on the right side, it's basically a, a short version of what's on our website, and it shows you, and I'm going to walk y'all through how you can guide one of your donors to make a stock gift to us that ultimately is going to go to the church. So do the same thing you did earlier, services, individual. Okay, everybody's headache is gonna go away now, it's good. Um, so um, you've, got, um, you've gone to services, individual, solutions again, and then we're gonna click on stocks. Give stocks and other securities right here. And then it walks you through, so it walks the donor through how they can give a stock. And the process here, it says contact us. Basically there's an online form and you'll notice, I'll, I'll go over here to highlight it with my cursor there. See where it says click here? They would just click on that and I'll show you that in a second. It opens the form, they fill it out. Um, then we initiate the transfer, we confirm the transfer, and then we take care of the contribution acknowledgement. So the church is not even responsible for sending the tax you know, receiving document to, um, to the individual donor. So we'll take care of that for you as well. 
and then we just turn around and send it back to the church. We do not charge a fee for this service. There is a broker brokerage fee to sell the stock, um, but we have negotiated a very good fee with our brokers, so the likelihood of us um, saving the church money is very high in that regard as well. If the, you know, if the church tries to use a local broker or something like that, the fees are going to be higher to liquidate the stock. Um, we charge 30, our broker charges us $30 for up to 100 shares to liquidate it, basically, and it's just a flat fee. And then I think it's 30 cents per share above that. So basically every 100 shares is 30 bucks is the way that works out. Um, and then you would, your donor would just click on this form here and let's see if I can get it together there. There it goes. And then they just walk through this form. It's just a pre-populated, it pre-populates itself. So they go through and fill out all these blanks and they can put in the church's name there as the, as the recipient. And then they can make the gift anonymous if they want to here. They have the option to do that. And then they list the donors down at the bottom, if they want to, if they don't want it to be anonymous, they list their information, then they submit it. The projector's it, about to fall. No, thanks. That was a good catch. All right. Yeah, it's it's too light for its own good. It's handy that it's that small, but it's a little too light. Um, Mark and I were talking about that earlier. This, we need a little plastic mat or rubber mat or something to keep it from sliding. Yeah. It needs to come with one. So then uh, Pam Mills is our VP of Trust Accounting. She's the one that deals with the broker for the donor. She is also available. So let's say you have a donor that's not familiar with getting online and filling out the form and all that. She can still help them do it um, you know, over the phone and they don't have to do it online if they don't want to. But very, um, very cool resource and very easy for an individual donor to use. And also it's just something that as a church, it's one of those gifts that you might not get otherwise if you hadn't talked about it and just shown the donor how easy it was to do it. So, so I would encourage all of you to, to think about that. It may be something that you share specifically with the senior adults um, because a lot of them may be in a position to where they're looking for ways to get a tax break or a tax deduction. But anybody can, can set up a stock gift, so it doesn't matter what age they are. And then, um, let me jump in right quick. Go ahead. One of the advantages to our smaller churches is that you don't have to have an active brokerage account. And most of our churches don't have an active brokerage account. So, it's um, so a great way for us to serve our smaller churches to keep them from having to pay the fees of the active brokerage account, those kind of things. So, um, just, a, just a good resource. Yeah, that great point, Jonathan. Um, because it is, um, some of the larger churches do have a brokerage account because they've received several gifts. But even with a larger church, we're probably going to be cheaper and save them money on the on the brokerage fees. So, so just with the that's the great thing about having the Georgia Baptist Foundation available for all our churches statewide is the fact that you know, get a break um, either way. Now, so let me just say because you mentioned it, the lady that passed away you passed away with fifty-seven thousand shares of Coca-Cola. So look just a little bit. And uh, if you were to if you were to be the pastor or member and a dog was set down in her house, she had not updated her furniture or her bathroom or any of that probably since the 1940s. So you wouldn't have thought she had two pennies to rub together. And here she's sitting on 57,000 shares of Coca-Cola stock. So I just say that to don't don't make assumption on who has resources and who doesn't have resources in your congregation because uh, they have may have more resources uh, than what you. Surprised. And I'll give you another quick example of that. Uh, when I previously worked in the world that Sam was talking about, I was south of Atlanta down in this area, and I won't give specific details for confidentiality purposes, but there was a lady that, that was in our church that taught my daughter in Sunday school in the first grade that, once again, you would have thought she was just an you know, average person. And uh, she came to us two weeks ago, and I would have had no idea that her, her estate or her net worth was multiple millions of dollars as well. Um, and you would have thought she was just a typical lady helping out teaching first grade Sunday school. Um, so once again, just a, a reminder of that. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's, that's great, Jonathan. Because, and, and we kind of, I kind of mentioned that earlier, but 
just the fact that all of you have members in your church that have assets you just don't know a lot of times who they are you know because the people that are driving the nicer cars a lot of times they have a lot of debt and they don't have as many assets as you think they have so so it, it uh, it's important as a pastor especially to have relationships with everybody you know no matter what their assets are um, and not for that reason but obviously you want to help people be better stewards with what god has blessed them with so it is part of our job now what is an rmd um, this uh required minimum distribution that I've been talking about. People can make a qualified charitable distribution from a required minimum distribution that they're being forced to take. So if we look, and it's a little bit hard to see this chart because it's small on the screen, but this shows you how you figure, this is actually an IRS table that shows you how to figure out what your required minimum distribution is. So you'll notice you put in, let's say that your IRA balance on December 31st and I'll just use I'll use $100,000 to make the math simple. It's $100,000. Then you take this number here, um, at age 70 and a half is when you have to start doing this. So you look at the 70 year old age category and the, the um, amount is 27.4. Now this is from a, basically, if y'all are familiar with life insurance, they use life expectancy tables to come up with these numbers. So this is from a life expectancy table that you know, was based on the last 100 years, um, give or take a few years. I think the last one that the IRS is using was from 2012. But, um, but basically what they do is they figure out, okay, what's the life expectancy? How long is this person gonna live? How much do we want them to pull out today? So they pay taxes on it. And, and it goes up over time. So you'll notice the numbers get smaller because you divide by this number. So you take the 100,000, divided by the 27.4, ends up being about 3.6% that first year. Now, every year it goes up. So in this example of $100,000, you've got a member that's got $100,000 in their IRA. They're gonna have to pull out $3,600, whether they want to or not, and it's gonna be taxable income. So on a smaller IRA, may not change your tax bracket, but let's say that you've got members that have a million dollars in their uh, 401k. Um, and that's not unusual. So you've got somebody that's got a million dollars in their 401k, well, they're having to pull out $36,000 instead of $3,600. That may push them into the next tax bracket. So they may raise their tax bracket, they may pay more taxes that year than they want to. Um, we never want to pay taxes, right? So, mm -hmm. so, uh, so they're paying more taxes because of that. And they, um, not only are they paying more taxes, but they have just increased their income and they may not need that income. Now, some of them may need the income. So it's like they've got it set up, they don't have other income, they're gonna use it and that's fine. But you've also got a lot of people that, like my mom is a good example of this, she has a pension from my dad plus her social security. So she has monthly income. She doesn't really need her required minimum distributions. So I've been, I've been working on her saying, hey mom, you need to, need to do a qualified charitable distribution. She hasn't done one yet, but I think she's getting close. So, um, so what, she, um, what happens with her is she just sticks it in savings and then it becomes income. She has to pay taxes on it. I've explained all the details to her, but she's just sticking it in her savings account when she has to take it every year. Um, she could, she could actually tithe to her church with that. I've seen people take their required minimum distribution, use that towards their tithes. So let's say that her tithe, let's say somebody's tithe is $10,000 a year and they got to take a $5,000 RMD. Well, they could use five of that from their RMD and because they're not paying taxes on that, they could give that as well. So let's say they save another $1,200 in taxes by doing it that way. All of a sudden they're giving $11,200 to the church that year instead of $10,000 because they you know, were, were wise with their, tax, with their tax situation. So, so there's several different things we can do there. And we actually have an online tool that we're gonna have that will allow your member to basically connect with their broker and we'll help them do that through this qualified charitable distribution tool that's going to be on our website, hopefully by September, um, but definitely before the end of the year, because this is when people have to start pulling them out. Normally November is when people pull these out. And uh, what that will allow your members to do is make a gift to the church directly through this qualified charitable distribution. They don't receive um, any, in, they don't, it doesn't become part of their income. So they don't have any income tax on the part that goes to the church. It can also be a percentage. So if somebody has a large you know, IRA, large 401k, and they're like, 
you know, I need part of this. So I'll give you an example. I had a, a gentleman at a larger church that I was working with. His RMD was, was pretty big, it was about $50,000 RMD that he was, was getting hit with. And he decided his church was doing a building campaign. So he decided that he was going to give part of it to the, about half of it to the building fund every year for the next three years and, get, and use the other half for grandchildren. They were doing some stuff with their grandkids and using those funds basically to do some stuff, some trips with their grandchildren. But, but, um, but so you don't have to give all of it. It's not a, you know, once you commit to this, you're giving 100% of it away. Um, we can work with you and help you do all kinds of different things with that required minimum distribution. So let me, let me just open it up here um, for questions. And let's go, let's go all the way back to the planned gift as well. So what questions do y'all have about either a planned gift, a required minimum distribution gift, a, um, a DAF account, or giving stocks? So y'all can ask about any of the four here, but I just want to open it up for everybody. First question I have is uh, going back to talking about property. That kind of, I think we, where I live, we have a lot of land owners at our church. We're not rural, but we're kind of a little rural. So I think I think we have a lot of, you know, and we and at our church, it is swinging back younger, but it's still a little older. And you're in Forsyth, right? Forsyth, okay. yeah. So saying that for God, it's been good. So what church is Forsyth? Now Maynard Baptist. Okay. And um, donating land. Um, so they can literally. Explain that a little bit more. Donate the land, and then so is that something y'all hold on to, or do you do you need to sell it before it then starts? Well, it's a that's a great great question, and it kind of brings us into. Do you want to talk about the timber um, sure, management? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So there's there to be honest with you, there's a whole host of options there. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't feel like just what I say is what's going to do to sure. be board. I told you all the options, but two things on that for them to receive income. Um, they can receive income and us hold on to the property. So you, you, we got to think of it two different ways. Uh, one way would be for them to receive income. The other way would be for the church to benefit. If they receive income, the plans that we set up, uh, we can set one up to where we can hold the land. And if the land makes money, so give for instance, if it's a piece of farmland and they lease it out to another farmer, then that lease income can come to them as a form of income and then come to the church when they pass away. Or if it's timber, you know, cutting the timber, whatever it may be, we can set it up that way. We just have to work with them to find out what that income need, needs to be and just how consistent we can do that. So that's, that's you know, it's just a matter of based on their needs. What Sam was referring to is um, is that we are moving very quickly. We'll, we'll be there by the end of the year. I have pretty good confidence. Uh, the ability, basically, we feel like there's people in Georgia, especially for sites, that make it for sites out that have land that maybe don't have any children. And if they knew that the land was going to be held for kingdom purposes and not just flipped and sold, they would be more likely to give it. Mm -hmm. And so we are very aggressively pursuing strategies to hold that land. And in your neck of the woods, timber being a big, big piece of that, I mean, we literally, um, I go down, not this coming Monday, but next Monday, to a timber management company in Albany that we're establishing a relationship with to where a donor will be able to give that land or in, in that we would maintain that land and the clipping from the timber harvest would go to the ministry. Or they could just say, hey, we want all or a portion of one cutting to go or one thinning to go. So they don't even have to give us the land. They could just give the cutting and we come in, take care of all of that, kind of like we do the stock transfer and basically make the gift to the church. So there, there's a lot of options there that we'd be happy to do with you. One of the, one of the properties that I'm looking at is in Cologne, so it's not far from you know, from where you all are for site. And so it's, the, all I'm saying is that the people we work with are working with really managed property all the way from Texas to Maine. So it's not anywhere in Georgia where we wouldn't have a problem uh, being able to help with that. Cool. Yeah, and I think the, the key, the example that I gave was basically given the property. Mm -hmm. And that may be the best option for the majority of your donors because they may just want to give the property and be done with it. But the reason we're looking at the timber management and the reason we're going to do it is because 
we realize there are some donors that wouldn't probably give it if it was just going to be flipped. You know, they don't want it to be flipped. They don't want it to be turned into, you know, whatever development is going to be developed into. They want it to remain forest or farmland or whatever that you know asset is is there currently doing. Um, so we just want to give them the option, you know, to be able to do that. So so every donor is different. We just sit down with the donor, figure out exactly what their wishes are and, and how they want to do it. And then we would work with them to make sure we do it you know, the, the best way possible, get them the income they need if they need income. Um, we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of people in our area just losing land because they can't afford to pay taxes on it anymore. Yeah. Also, that's a, a be a good option to, to lose it to the government. Right. Yeah. It'd be much better to stick it in the trust with yeah. us, even if we do have to sell it, you know, to fund the trust. But yeah, yeah. much better option. It's not to get too complex on you. The, uh, I mean, you've got some people that we're working with that are setting up the conservation easements. So, I mean, it's not just a trust with us. It could be a conservation type easement type trust or a combination of the two. The one other thing I was going to say with that, which I think is important, sometimes when we think of land, we think of large pieces of property. You know, we're, we're, it's a, it's a floating minimum, but we, we feel like, the 50 acres or more is pretty easy to do mm -hmm. and uh, depending upon the location and how close it is to the mill but we could get us down as low as 10 to 20 acres depending upon the timbers on the track mm -hmm. so now you're talking about a large number of our Baptists that may have you know they may not have 500 acres of timber but they may have a 45 acres and they're willing to give 20 of it or something like that so um, just want you to know, don't be thinking, oh, i got to find the guy that's got all this land. That's got a thousand acres. It's yeah. not, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, not, we don't want to exclude the normal you know, yeah. member in your church. So. Right. And, and the reality is, is that, which you know this, is that you get out of Metro Atlanta, people are land rich and cash flow poor. And so we're trying to create ways by which they can be good stewards of that asset and it benefit God's kingdom and the local church. Yeah, that's great. And I had one more thought on that. I well, think, you, well, you think so? As you can tell, I'm excited about this because it's something they can do, and I, I can talk forever. But um, just kind of to, to whet your appetite a little bit, there's uh, there, Georgia is the number one timber producer in the country. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, um, I just didn't know that. Fifty-eight percent of it is non-industrial, privately owned, um, and the rotation is shorter than really anywhere else in the country as well. Meaning that you got a ten to twenty year, I mean a twenty to thirty year rotation cycle whether it's if we were in New England where it's hardwoods you got like a 40 to 80 year rotation cycle so Georgia is primed to do something like this and we feel like it's going to generate a lot of resources for the kingdom to accept that. And we feel like that that 58 percent we know a lot of those are you know Georgia Baptist I mean because you get below Atlanta and the Georgia you know Baptists are the largest denomination and there's a Baptist church you know you pass one every few miles, so so we know that there's a lot of members in those churches that own that 58% of privately owned you know timberland across the state of Georgia. So I just I was surprised when they did the presentation to us, the timber management company, that it was such a high percentage. Yeah, you know, that was amazing to me when Jonathan told me that that um, that we were the largest um, you know in the entire United States. You know we have more timber than any any other state, so it's it's pretty crazy to think about, but. But it is, um, and I think Alaska has more timber than we do, but most of it is in national parks and you know, cannot be cut and can't be managed. So, so, um, so obviously we're, we don't have the most timber, but we have the most timber that can be given and managed and, and benefit the kingdom. So it's a pretty cool, pretty cool feature. Um, any, did that answer your question about property? Has any type of property they have, we can probably help with it. So I look at, I look at ways, because as I'm coming on with this new church, I think the position that I will probably take over as the church as an executive position because I'm a business owner, hardwood flooring, and you have to find these ways that and I think God led me into this classroom simply for what we're talking about right now, probably Creative because, because our our members are land rich, and so this is a creative way to sustain yeah. Maynard into the future because they care about their kids they care about their grandkids so this is ways that people are kind of tight on their some people you have to have that vision that god gives you to to see hey them trees on your property could you know be, be your grandkids grandkids you know future so yes it did thank you that's great that is great any um any questions on the 
charitable remainder trust or the other that and I'll, I'll say this real quickly before I take any more questions part of the reason we want to do this for our churches we don't if we do a if we process a required minimum distribution or a stock gift um, or even a donor advised fund because usually that's going to be a pastor gift and, and go directly to ministry pretty quickly um, there's not a huge benefit for us as the foundation I mean we're not doing this um, I want you to realize that we're doing this to benefit our churches and it's um, and what's exciting for us is a lot of times when churches get gifts we do end up managing some of those funds you know if you get reserve funds or excess funds that you didn't have before um, sometimes the church realizes we need to establish an endowment so we can help you establish that endowment that will replace some of that you know tithe when those older members pass away and you, you lose some of that tithe that you are receiving so so we want to help our churches get those dollars um, so they can you know like you said Maynard can can continue into the future yeah, you know, because they have those dollars they didn't have before so so any other any other questions so let me mention a couple things that they're official one is Sam's mentioned several times about a endowment fund and sometimes churches or people think they have to have money to set up an endowment fund we have the ability to set up what's called an unfunded endowment fund or we can begin to encourage it and or you can begin to encourage it more few people and so even if that's something that interests you, where you set up a fund and kind of begin to encourage people to make gifts to that fund, uh, it's called unfunded account we can do. And then the second thing, Sam, I was going to mention to you, um, it's a 130, and you, you may have seen it, you, you um, but, well, I guess you been here last night. At the 130 hour, uh, Lifeway Generosity is going to be in here sharing about online giving. And the same way to do have a chance yeah. to talk about that. And I can I can show them that on the website. But they're making an exclusive offer for churches that choose to join as a result of this meeting that they'll not charge anything. There's zero for setup fee and zero for subscription fee. So the only thing that's cost there is the transaction fees. That's an extremely good deal. So if your church is anywhere close to considering doing anything from an online giving uh, standpoint, that, that's about the best deal out there that I have seen that they're making as an exclusive offer with no subscription fees. Um, and so uh, if that's something that you might be interested in, you don't have to necessarily come back at 1.30 if you've got another class that you want to go to, but they are running that through the end of September. So if you have an interest in that, just reach out to Sam or myself and we'll make sure that you get included in that. I don't want your church to miss out on it. And if you go to our website and just click on Give on our website, um, this is where it will take you. And yours, um, if you sign up with um, Lifeway Generosity to do this for your own church, you'll be able to customize it and you know look like your website and all of that. But basically what happens is somebody wants to give, they just click on money. So you can actually give to one of our endowments. So if you have a heart for seminary students, for example, we have an endowment for seminary student scholarships. So you can go on our website, you can click on give now, you can give dollars. An exact amount, you can set it up monthly. We have, uh, we've already had people, we've only had this online for about a month and a half, two months, about maybe, maybe two and a half months. Um, and we already have a, some people that have set up a monthly recurring gift to an endowment fund. Somebody for the um, Baptist Conference Center in Tacoa has set up a, a recurring gift, you know, every month to that. But you can also click on assets and then it lets, allows you to give, somebody could give a car to your church. Um, by clicking on assets and life with generosity you know now we can actually help if it's a, a car Jonathan's kind of a car aficionado but but if y'all want um, help with somebody giving a car we can help you liquidate that and create that into turn that into cash um, if it's land or property we recommend you know that we sit down with them and find out exactly what they want to do with that but if they want to give a piece of jewelry or um, something um, unusual that we don't have a good way to evaluate the value of and don't have an easy way to sell it. They can even give gift cards, um, so an unused gift card, you know, things like that. So, so they can go into assets and give all kinds of ridiculous things that you wouldn't even think are out there um, and give that to the church and life with generosity basically liquidates that asset. You know, there's obviously there's fees involved and in, in all that with that, but you're getting an asset that you wouldn't have gotten before maybe because there was no way for that person to give it and the church didn't have a way to take it. Yeah, you know, that's the key 
is just creating an easy way for the church to receive an unusual gift. Um, and, and we uh, we are enjoying our relationship with Lifeway Generosity, and I think that's part of, part of our goal is to help our institutions as well. So we've already set up several of our institutions with a giving platform, and we want, like Jonathan said, we want our churches to be able to take advantage of that as well. So if your church doesn't currently have online giving or you don't have a, a very good deal with your current bank or whoever's doing your online giving, this will give you more options and it'll be an easy way to, to do it. And they just uh, basically give you the, the web link and set it up on your website for you. So the Lifeway guy will talk more about that in detail if y'all come or send somebody to that session this afternoon. All right, any, any other questions? We've got, we've still got a couple of minutes left, but I don't have anything else. So if, I appreciate y'all coming. I'll send y'all a copy of the PowerPoint, some links to our website. And I would love to do a, an estate stewardship seminar. I already talked to you about that. I'd love to do that at any of your churches that you're interested in doing that in. And we can also get into some of these gifts as well in front of your people so it's not coming directly from the pastor necessarily. All right. Thank you.